morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Get your Bibles close, and we're going to go back into our, our lesson series called Soapboxes. And um, if you know anything about me, you know that it seems like when I get on a series, it goes about a thousand years. So this is part four, and I'm calling it Soapboxes because we're just pinpointing uh, nuggets of areas that uh, we need to work on that are areas that uh, I feel passionate about that are weak areas, not just within the American church as a whole, but even within uh, apostolic churches. And so these are areas that we need to be aware of and be careful of and uh, guard our hearts against. And so this is things apostolics need to stop doing now. Look at your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop it right now. Things apostolics need to stop doing right now. And there's a lot of them. Uh, and we're on number six. I'll take you to the first slide. You can go back to the podcast or uh, you can get a CD from Brother Sam up in the sound room if you want to go back if you missed the first few. If I review every time, this will be a 2,000-year series, and uh, we'll probably be raptured. I'll be teaching it. We'll be raptured. So uh, I, I can't review every time. Uh, so we're just going to keep on moving as quickly as we can. And number six is stop overlooking uncomfortable passages of scripture and I get an amen anybody awake or maybe I could put it this way stop avoiding uncomfortable passages of scripture I uh, I've been <laughs> I've, I've had a, a sermon titled for a long time I keep uh, in my computer and in my journal uh, I keep hundreds and hundreds of, of sermons that I'm working on at any given time, and sometimes they just go kind of off to the side, and sometimes they move to the top. And for years and years and years, I've had a sermon titled, uh, You Can't Just Have the Marshmallows. You Can't Just Have the Marshmallows. And, uh, and I've never quite felt a release to preach it. Maybe someday I will. It'll give me an excuse to eat Lucky Charms as I'm preaching. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So my, my kids love... Lucky Charms. Anybody know what Lucky Charms is? It's that uh, really unhealthy cereal. But the problem with Lucky Charms and my kids is we buy the giant boxes that are as tall as you. You know what I mean? Those extra large family. You can go to Sam's Club or you can go to Costco and they're as tall as the ceiling almost. And the problem, though, is that when my kids eat Lucky Charms, we've had an ongoing battle for years and years and years where I'll watch them do it. I pour them a bowl of cereal, and they get their spoon, and they always ask for an extra small spoon, and they go in, and they just get the marshmallows. Some of you adults do that. I, I can see guilt all over your face. And they avoid all pieces. The marshmallows, are, they're the part that tastes the best, and they look the best, but it's that grainy stuff that it's actually has a little bit of vitamins in it and a little bit of health to it. And the marshmallows are just sugar. And, uh, and they're supposed to add to the healthy part that you're getting. And that's exactly how I would, I hate to say it this way, but how most Christians approach the Bible. Did you know that? They really do. They just take the marshmallows. They take the, the fluffy part, the part that they like, the part that's the easiest to take, the part that tastes the best to them. And then they leave out oftentimes the most important parts that they really need in their lives. You need it all. Jesus said, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
We need every, every word of the Bible. And so you cannot just pick and choose the parts that you enjoy or the parts that make you feel good or the parts that don't make you uncomfortable. In fact, I would suggest to you, if you're reading the Bible, forget preaching, forget teaching, forget this lesson. Just think about your daily devotions, and I pray you have daily devotions in the Word. Amen? Think about your daily devotions, and if you never are having an interaction while you're reading your Bible where you become convicted or uncomfortable, you're not doing something right. You're not doing something right. Because if you read the Word of God long enough and you read it every day and you're not skipping, you know, a lot of people do Bible reading plans where they, they get these lists of, of famous scriptures or their favorite scriptures or someone puts out a list and all they ever do is just go read uh, a scripture here and then they go over here and they read another scripture and they never have the context of the scripture. Everybody okay? And so what happens is they're just getting this small little marshmallow. They're getting a nugget and it's the word of God. It's powerful, but they're missing all of the things around it and beside it, in front of it, behind it, all of the things they need to make that marshmallow be effective in their life, to make that actually work in their spiritual life to, for their well-being. And we need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So let me take you to 2 Timothy. If you have your Bible, grab it. We're going to get into quite a few scriptures here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 13, and then we're going to actually go into chapter 4 as well. And this is, of course, uh, the book of Timothy, Timothy 1 and 2, are the Apostle Paul admonishing a young, anointed, upcoming preacher, and he's teaching him, as well as the church, us today, he's teaching him what is necessary for effective, apostolic, godly ministry. And Paul is setting the stage here, and he's warning Timothy of several things, and I want us to look at it carefully. He says, but evil men and seducers, everyone said imposters, did you know that there will and is, and I believe more today than ever before in the history of the world, there are evil men and imposters who infiltrate the church and the ministry. Is that okay? Are we all this is the adult class, right? Kids are upstairs, so we can just be real. That infiltrate the ministry. That's why I'm always amazed when, when people are uh, lose their faith when they when a minister fails or when a minister is exposed uh, or when they just see things or hear things because Jesus and the Apostle Paul warned us over and over again that especially in the last days this was going to be the case Jesus said beware because there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing they're going to be people who literally try to portray themselves as holy they try to portray themselves as godly. They try to portray themselves as being a man of God, a woman of God, a saint of God, a prophet of God. And yet, in reality, they have evil intentions that are hidden underneath the surface. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, be very careful because they're going to be evil. He didn't say just misinformed. He didn't say just wrong or incorrect men. He said men who are actually evil. Is that what the Bible says? Men who actually have evil intentions in their heart, and they will be seducers. They'll be imposters, and they, they're not going to just walk in and announce their intentions. They're not going to tell you that they're preaching false doctrine. They're not going to tell you that they're gossiping maliciously. They are going to do it 
underneath the auspices of holiness, underneath the auspices of spirituality, and they are going to wax worse and worse. In other words, they're going to go from bad to worse. Anybody ever heard that expression before? It's, it's just going to get worse and worse. It's always been bad. But how many understand that, especially in this, in this culture that we're in, it seems like this is increasing more and more as we approach the rapture. And then he said they're going to be deceiving others and being deceived themselves. So you have two things happening here. You have uh, evil men who are deceiving others intentionally, and then you have evil men or imposters who are deceived themselves, and because they're deceived, they're deceiving others. So that's two levels of imposter. You have one who's doing it on purpose, and the, which I would submit to you as far worse for that person when they stand before God. And then you have individuals who are deceived. You know, my son and I were talking the other day and he was asking, Daddy, why do some preachers not preach uh, that you need to be baptized in Jesus name? Why do some preachers uh, not preach that you need to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues? And uh, of course, we all know uh, preachers and men who don't believe that, who seem to be sincere, honest, good people. And the answer is always that they were deceived somewhere along the line. Somebody taught them incorrectly. And oftentimes, if you go all the way back to the source, there was someone who did so knowingly. And then it produces generations of people who do so unknowingly. That's why we need to hold steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine. Amen. And so Paul looks at Timothy and says, but you continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom, thou hast, of, of whom thou, thou hast learned them. So you know that you've learned these things from apostles and people who actually walked with Jesus and were there on the day of Pentecost. So you can be assured that what you have been taught is true because it came from the original source. And that from a child, look at your neighbor and say the Old Testament, Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Look at your neighbor again and say the Old Testament, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation or have the wisdom to understand salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I'd never noticed this point. I hope you're not too sleepy to catch this. I hope you've had your coffee. Look at your neighbor and just make sure they're awake. Look them right in the eye because this is powerful, but it just might be too early for us to recognize how awesome this is. Never dawned on me before. I was studying and it hit me. Paul is talking to a young man, a young man who is now a preacher who grew up pre-Calvary. Everybody catch that? Timothy grew up pre-Calvary. All right? Timothy grew up studying and learning and reading the Old Testament. Everybody okay? That's what he grew up on. And so Paul looks at him and he's talking in the New Testament era after the resurrection of Jesus. And he said, I want you to understand that the Old Testament that you grew up on is powerful and it will bring you to understanding. Your understanding of the Old Testament has caused you to know and understand exactly who Jesus is, what he came and accomplished. And now you have greater apostolic authority because you know and understand the Old Testament. 
Brother Ryan, why are you saying this? Because we're living in a generation of people who want to overlook the Old Testament. We are living in a generation of people who want to claim that you cannot preach anything unless it's from the New Testament. And that goes against what the New Testament has to say about the Old Testament. The New Testament is very clear. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I came to fulfill the law. In other words, I was prophesied in the Old Testament. Everything that we know about Jesus, we knew about in the Old Testament. He just came and fulfilled it and embodied it in the flesh. And so the New Testament and the Old Testament work together. I'm just going to go ahead and say it so that some of you can understand this. We can still stand up and preach holiness from the Old Testament. I said we can still teach principles of holiness from the Old Testament. And you know why people want to get rid of the Old Testament? Because of the very thing that we're talking about. Stop overlooking uncomfortable passages of Scripture. The Old Testament has a lot to say about lifestyle. And so a lot of people want to get rid of it. Now, uh, for example, homosexuality and uh, transgenderism and all of these things are addressed very, very detailed in the Old Testament. And many people want to do away with the Old Testament because of that. But you know what? That's also misinformed because the New Testament has a lot to say about those things. Jesus confirmed and quoted. Did you know the majority of Jesus' preaching was from the Old Testament? I've been reading through uh, the book of Acts with my son. As you know, I've mentioned it several times. And we finished chapter 25 last night. Amen. Glory to God, Judah. Send it up. We're reading through the book of Acts, went through chapter 25, and we were going through Paul's sermons. And then, of course, Peter was preaching, and then Stephen preached. And it's so interesting. Uh, Great portions of the book of Acts are sermons that were preached, often to Jews, sometimes to Gentiles. And it's fascinating to me when I study the sermons that they preached. It also struck me how different they preached from how we preach today. It convicted me a little bit. But if you, if you look at how they preached, every, even when they preached to the Gentiles and, and to the Jews as well, they preached from the Old Testament. Everybody okay? They preached Jesus from the Old Testament. They preached righteousness from the Old Testament. There was no, in the early church, in the apostolic church, there there was no desire to get rid of the Old Testament. They understood that the Old Testament is what gave them the New Testament. And they knew you couldn't understand the New Testament unless you understood the Old Testament. And so it all works together. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, you grew up on those scriptures, and those are why you have a foundation today. And it's why you can understand who Jesus is. You can't understand who Jesus is if you don't understand the Old Testament. You really can't. You can't even understand why there needed to be a blood sacrificed in the first place. You can't even understand why the blood of Jesus washes away your sins if you don't understand the Old Testament. Nothing about the bloody sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I makes any sense without an understanding of the Old Testament. And so Paul continues on. He says, all, look at your neighbor and say, that's Old and New Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed and is profitable, useful for doctrine. Everyone said doctrine for reproof. Anyone know what reproof means without looking at the screen? Reproof. (laughs) Reproof means conviction of sin. 
Well, I don't like it when the preacher preaches and it makes me feel uncomfortable. It is profitable. All scripture, Old and New Testament, is profitable because it's God-breathed. It's given by God for doctrine and for reproof, for conviction of sins, for correction. Everyone said correction. Anybody like to be corrected? I don't. I don't like to be corrected. But did you know you can't be apostolic if you can't receive correction from the word of God? So, I think I heard some husbands saying they corrected all day long. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Men are like, I'm getting corrected at home, getting corrected at church. We're talking about, of course, biblical apostolic correction for instruction. One said instruction for instruction in righteousness. By the way, that's why we have more than one service, and it's why we do more than just preach. We teach and preach because sometimes you can't preach in an instructional way that is detailed enough. Uh, sometimes you have to do like we're doing right now, and you have to dig a little bit. And that means that you may not be jumping and shouting, but it should mean that your Bible's open and your mind is open and your heart is engaged because, listen, it takes more than goosebumps running up and down your spine for you to serve God correctly. You've got to get your mind involved in this thing. You can't just mindlessly serve God. You're going to have to. And, and listen, you might say, well, you know, I'll just kind of get by and what? No, no, no. You need to understand because, listen, when the enemy starts messing with your mind, if you haven't hidden God's word deep within your heart so that you might not sin against him, you are not going to know how to combat the confusion of the last days. And so the word is profitable for instruction and in righteousness. That's how to live holy. Everyone said holy or right, righteous. Have you ever noticed how that word right is right there inside of righteous? Right, rightness, righteous. Mm. It literally means how to live right. And the only way you can live right is to live as God has created you to live. To be like Jesus. To be righteous as Jesus was righteous. Of course, the problem with postmodernism in our secular society that's even creeping into the church is that most people don't believe there is any such thing as real right. Real right. Wrong and right. There, there is your right. I've been, on this, I've been on this soapbox. That's why I'm calling it soapboxes, by the way. But I've stood on this soapbox quite a few. If I had one, get up on top of it. Here I am. I'm on it. That's why I have a real problem with people who say, you just go live your truth. Speak your truth. Find your truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's God's truth, and that's it. I said there's God's truth, and that's it. Everything else is wrong. And, do, you know, we're living in such a messed up, confused society that that is an incredibly controversial thing to say. Just to stand up and say that there is a right and a wrong way to live, a right and a wrong way to think, that's considered arrogant that's considered bigoted that's considered unkind that's considered closed-minded it's considered all kinds of things in this world but can i just tell you that it's just an essential of life you just try doing math and telling your professor if you're doing calculus that there's more than one right answer to this equation and you better give me an a yeah, you just try going to college and telling them, well, you know what? There's more than one right answer to this test, so you better just go ahead and give me an A because I'm, 
And, you know, this is my truth. No. The very professor that will teach you that there's no such thing as real right and wrong when it comes to life and living will absolutely fail you in class. If you try to tell that professor, well, you know, there's more than one right answer to this question. I don't need to really answer it anyway. It's, it, my truth is that I just want an A and I don't need to study. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. My truth is that I'm not going to come to class. I'm not going to pay tuition. And you're going to give me a diploma. That's my truth. No, it doesn't work that way because we know that isn't how life works. And a lot of people are going to stand before God with their truth. And God is going to say, that wasn't my truth. And I am the God of heaven and earth. I'm the creator of the universe. And you did it your way. You sang Sinatra all day and all night. You had it your way. And that's fine. I hope you had fun in this world. I hope you, I hope you did. I hope you had fun. But when you stand before God, it's not going to be your way any longer. God gave us a free will. You can do whatever you want in this world. But when you stand before God, you're going to realize he is holy. He is righteous. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And I tried to take dominion of his kingship. And I tried to elevate things above the word. And so instruction in righteousness is how to live holy, righteous, and pleasing lives before God. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Now, that doesn't just mean the preacher. I know we use that. Uh, pastor, correct me if I'm wrong. I know we often uh, portray that as just being for ministry. But, of course, it includes the ministry. Uh, a preacher is a man of God. But if you are a child of God and you're a man or a woman, of course, this is a general phrase meaning mankind, men and women, then you are a child of God. You are a man or a woman of God. And so it is calling you, the word is calling you to be perfect or complete. Everyone said complete, complete, thoroughly furnished. That is well-trained unto all good works. Well, we don't need to do good works to be saved unto all good works. To do good works and live correctly before him in thought, purpose, and action. God is concerned with our actions. With our actions. All of them. And the word of God is given to us to instruct us on how to live holy, righteous, pleasing lives. All right, I'm on a soapbox, so I'm just going to keep going. I hear a lot of, it's really... Vogue, it's really popular right now for people to say, well, I don't need outward holiness. In fact, it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do with my body, what I do with my life. I can do pretty much anything I want. God has only called me. The only holiness that matters is that I am kind and that I am loving. Now, the problem is oftentimes people, when they say that kind of thing, they don't really understand what true love is. So you already have a problem because now you have to start defining what is love. Love is not lust. Hello? Love is not just an ooey gooey chocolate chip cookie feeling. If you know what, if you know anything about love, you know that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not always easy. You know, the world paints a picture of love as just being this natural emotion that just always flows. But, you know, love is not always that way. Sometimes love is something you have to work hard at. Sometimes love is painful. You know, you, you'll never be more hurt 
than when you love someone and they hurt you. You know, if you don't love someone, it's hard for them to hurt you. But when you love someone, you become vulnerable, and now you're open to being hurt by that person. So love is, is something you have to define, and then you have to define what kindness is. And, and you really can't define what kindness is without a biblical worldview. One person might think one thing is kind. Another person might think another thing is kind. For example, some people think it's kind to never warn people that they're living a lifestyle that's going to end in absolute pain and suffering. Well, I don't want to be unkind and, and hurt their feelings. Sometimes kindness is being willing to love someone enough to tell them the truth. We know that with our children because you would never look at your children when they're about to touch a hot stove and say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to scare them. No, if you're a parent who loves your children, you're going to cry, don't touch the stove because it's going to hurt. And then we might have to make a trip to the emergency room. And, and so love is sometimes willing to cry out in warning. That's what love is. Love is not always politically correct. No, you can't try, try living with someone. Try, try having children and be politically correct. You can't do it. You've got to be brutally honest sometimes because that's what love is. And so you've got to define what all of that is. But can I just tell you that even if you were to accept the, the idea that nothing about holiness matters, nothing about your dress, nothing about your conduct, nothing about your sexuality, nothing about uh, anything external or outward. It's just all about love and kindness. Can I tell you that love and kindness are outward works? Hello. So now we have a problem because you just told me that kindness is the only thing that matters, but God doesn't care about any kind of outward works and works can't save us. And yet the only thing that we have to do to be saved is a work of kindness. You can't have it both ways. Either something outward matters or nothing outward matters. In other words, what you have is people who want to take one portion. It is true, by the way, Christians need to be loving. Christians need to be kind. Amen. I said Christians need to be loving. Christians need to be kind. We absolutely do. But what you have is a situation where people are taking the marshmallows and saying, I like love. I like kindness, even though my definitions might be a little mixed up. But I'm going to overlook the uncomfortable passages that I don't like. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says that a woman shouldn't cut her hair. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says that a man should have cut hair. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says that a man should dress like a man and a woman should dress like a woman. That a woman should never put on any clothes that would be pertain unto a man and a man should never put on any apparel that would ever pertain or be construed as being feminine in any way. That the gender should be completely distinct. I'm going to overlook those things. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says not to encrust myself with gold or jewels or have vanity in my life. I'm going to overlook. See how uncomfortable it just got? Why? Because we like the marshmallows. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says that I should dress modestly, that I shouldn't draw attention to my body, that I should be careful, that I should be faithful, that I should be a, a giver. I'm going to overlook it when the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to overlook those things because those things make me uncomfortable. But I like the kindness part. Hello? Kindness is still a work. Kindness is still an outward manifestation. And it's good that you understand that. But you need to recognize you have to have all 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow. It just got we started getting past the marshmallows and wow, we just got uncomfortable. I feel like trying to get my kids to to go ahead and eat the rest of it right now. So so you'll be thoroughly furnished, well trained unto all good works to do good works, live correctly before God in thought. Everyone said thought, purpose and action. I can't stop here. I'm not even moving quickly, but you need to understand that the word of God needs to change your thoughts and not just your actions. Because if you conform in your actions, but you don't let God transform your mind, eventually you'll revert back to the old man and the old woman. Do you know why people will kind of do right for a while and then they'll fall back? Because they never allowed God to transform their mind. You know, the Israelites had to have their minds transformed because after God delivered them from Egypt over and over and over again, they said, maybe it would just be better to go back to Egypt where we were slaves. God had to transform their mind. They weren't in Egypt, but they desired to be back in Egypt because they did not understand or recognize what God was trying to do, and they would not listen to the man of God. They would not listen to Moses. And so this is very important. You need to allow God to transform your mind so that you can have your actions be proper because when holiness and righteous living and sanctification flows from a mind that has been renewed by the Holy Spirit, then you have power. And then you're not doing it out of drudgery. Then you're not doing, you're, you're not saying constantly, well, I'll do that because the preacher made me do it. The preacher shouldn't have to make you do anything. Your mind should be renewed and you're submitted to the word of God and you say, I long to be like Jesus. Nobody has to make me do it. Nobody has to, you know, nobody's going to threaten you. I don't have any power over you. You can do whatever you want. I can't make you do anything, but I can tell you what the word of the Lord says. And then you have to say, Lord, I want my mind to be renewed so that I can understand your plan for my life. So that I can walk righteously before you. For, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Paul continues, I charge, I solemnly earn, urge you, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that's the living, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. He's talking about the coming rapture. How many believe we're quickly approaching the rapture and his kingdom? Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. By the way, the Bible says, how many want to have faith? How many know that faith pleases God? How many know that faith moves mountains? Amen? How do you get faith? Hmm. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, when you run from preaching, you're running from faith. When you run from the preached word of God, when you say, I, don't, I, I only need preaching once a week, once a month, I only need it once in a while, and then when I'm there, I'll be on my phone or I'll be going in and out and all of that kind of thing. When you run from preaching and then you wonder why you have no faith, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen? So preach the word, preacher. Every time your pastor preaches, you ought to be saying, preach the word, preacher. If it makes you uncomfortable, what should you say? Preach the word, preacher. 
I don't like everything pastor preaches. Sometimes it hurts my feelings. Especially when he preaches about me. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, he's preaching right at me. He's stepping on my toes again because they're not because my toes are somewhere they shouldn't be. It hurt a little bit. And you know what I have to do? I have to crucify my flesh and say, preach the word, preacher. Preach the word, preacher. I need it. I may not like it right now, but I need it. Amen. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I'll take you to the next slide. I want to look at that last portion of scripture that we uh, just looked at uh, and I want to look at it in the amplified version. Pastor and I have this ongoing uh, tension because uh, he won't admit that he enjoys studying with the Amplified Version. Have I already done the whole lesson on how uh, you should never read another translation other than the King James except as a study tool? The King James is the finest translation in all the world, uh, but sometimes you can have a study tool from a secondary translation. I always begin with the King James and compare everything to the King James and the original Greek and Hebrew, and then oftentimes other translations are grossly incorrect that's why you should never, ever use them as a primary Bible. Although, as a study tool, they can be helpful. Everyone said amen. Do I need the lawyer to come sign anything? Everyone okay? All right. Verse 2. Herald and preach the word. I like that word herald because the word preach is, actually comes from the Greek word herald, which comes from several ideas in, in Bible times. Number one, they would have what they called uh, heralds who would... Uh, go out into the streets, and if the king had a pr an announcement or a pronouncement, he would send heralds. Oftentimes, he would send many of them out into the streets, and they would literally walk through the streets shouting, the king proclaims, today is a feast. Praise the Lord. That's just what I imagine a king would proclaim. We could do that today. That'd be great. And they would go through the streets shouting at the top of their lungs to make sure that everyone heard what the king wanted them to hear. By the way, the very word preach implies that we ought to preach with passion, that we ought to preach with all of our hearts. I don't believe in just preaching, well, God told me to tell you and maybe it'd be nice if you'd listen to me today. That's not how God wants us to preach. Because preachers are heralding what the king gave them to say. And when the king says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, we've got to herald that. So herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand and ready. How many need, know that we need to be ready all the time? Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word, are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? So in other words, it's, we, it's good to preach positive. I prefer to preach positive. But sometimes you, as a preacher, you have to get up and say, this is where we're wrong. And we need to adjust ourselves so that we can be right with God. And we have to do it even when it is unwelcome. If I had a dime 
For every time I preached to someone who didn't want to hear me preach, I would have a Lamborghini by now. <laughs> My son asked me the other day if, uh, if anyone's ever walked out when I was preaching. I said, son, if I had a dollar for every person who had ever walked out while I was preaching, I would, <laughs> I would be a rich man right now. Because preaching isn't just something we do for popularity. You know, this, this might sound wrong and I'm out of time, but if I, just, uh, if I just wanted to make money, I could make a lot of money preaching. I don't make a lot of money, by the way, if you're wondering. But I could. I have friends right now live in great big mansions and drive great big Corvettes, have vacation homes, but they're not right with God. They preach every Sunday. They smoke and drink on Monday. Yeah. Because they can move a crowd. This might sound arrogant to you, but I could move crowds, tell them what they wanted to hear, make a lot of money. People do it every day. People are doing it right now, but they're not heralds. They're not preachers. They might call themselves preachers. They're something else because they're not telling people what the king told them to tell people. You cannot be a man of God unless you are preaching what God told you to preach. Every word, all scripture. Hello? And so you've got to be willing to preach when it's convenient, when you don't feel like it. When people want you to and when they don't want you to, convince them. Rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging. There we go. There's the part we like. There's a marshmallow. Anybody catch the marshmallow there? Encouraging them. Being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction. I believe that's the generation we're living in today. But having ears that itch for something pleasing and gratifying for marshmallows. They will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number. They'll hop from church to church. They'll run from conference to conference. They'll go from ministry to ministry until they can find someone who will satisfy to their own liking and foster or encourage the errors they already hold. You know, if, if you believe something that's wrong, if you look hard enough, you'll find a preacher that'll tell you you're right. Yeah. And that's exactly what they'll do in the last days. Verse 4. And will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. As for you, be calm and cool and steady. Accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fully perform all the duties of your ministry. How many are glad that we have a Bible that we can stand on and base our entire lives on? Can we just stand and lift up our hands and thank God for his word? Can we do that? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us, God, that we can live lives of joy, lives of peace. Lord, that we can have fulfillment and have peace. Lord, even when storms come, God, I feel your peace right now, Lord. Peace that is unshakable. Peace 
that is unchangeable, peace that is supernatural, God. And it comes through standing on your word because we are building our lives on the rock that is Christ Jesus, Lord. And when the storms rage all around us, God, we will not be moved because we are built on the word that was made flesh. We give you praise. I thank you for every preacher. I thank you for my pastor. I thank you for my bishop, Lord. I thank you for the ministry of this church. I thank you for saints who love the word and love preaching, God. I thank you for a church that's apostolic and built on the rock. I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen.